It is not my goal to distract you today from all the COVID-19 news. I actually do have some thoughts. Some thoughts that will probably upset everybody about our response to it. But I also have some stuff on Robert Jeffress, Matt Chandler. That and more on this week's Corey Truax Show. This is the best thing, the best thing that could be happening. And I think you would agree the best thing is that it's happening to you and me. I must commend the people of the United States for not losing their sense of humor throughout this entire crisis. The memes and the internet posts throughout the COVID-19 outbreak. outbreak. It's actually been some of the best stuff we've ever produced. I, I don't think it's worth it. I would definitely trade all the jocularity and the good jokes for not having to deal with this, but the American people have kept their spirits up, and they should be commended for it. I'm going to give you an example of that to start with a fun thing here in just a moment. But first, thank you for listening to The Corey Act Show on his radio talk, 91.9, 92.9, or wherever you find the podcast. We're dedicated to smarter, deeper, and better talk here on the Corey Trio Act Show. I also serve as the pastor for teaching at Beachwood Church, and Beachwood Church meets on the internet for now. And very soon, I hope to say that's not the case. I don't know if that's going to be anytime soon, but boy, do I hope it is. I miss, I miss it so bad. I miss that discipline, that regimen, that rhythm of getting together with other believers. And I hope to be able to do it sometime here soon. And I will announce that when it happens. So that if you don't have a church home, uh, you can join us there on 10, at 10.30 on Sunday mornings. But for now, it's out there on YouTube if you want to search for Beachwood Church. Now they're really on demand. So if you don't watch live at 10.30, you can watch at another time if you are so inclined. Let's start with this fun thing. And I start with it because I think you're all going to laugh at me. So uh, the best humor, in my opinion, is self-deprecating humor. The, the best way, this is a good life skill for everybody, by the way. If you're willing to make fun of yourself, not not in a way that looks like you're you're fishing for a compliment or uh, it's, it's so self-denigrating that people try to lift you up, but if you're willing to make fun of yourself for things that you, you know, good-natured. It's actually a great way to win people over. If you're willing to do some self-deprecation, it's a, it's a fun humor. And so that's the kind of humor I'm about to give you. We're going to make fun of me together. Isn't that fun? One of the internet postings I saw during this time was uh, a, a predictive text post. So if you don't know what that means, if you have an iPhone, I think Android does this too, your phone, your device knows so much about you that if you start typing a text or an email, it will start giving you options of what they think the next word you're going to say is. Gmail does this too. It'll start giving you predictive text so that it makes it easier, I guess, for you. And it, your device knows so much about you, it can predict what word you're trying to say next. And so the game is to say, I am your name, so I am Corey. And then let the predictive text fill in this. So the predictive text fills in, so I am Corey, Lord of blank, bringer of blank, fear me for I blank. And let your predictive text fill it in. So I want to give you mine because the final one, you're all going to go, yep, that's you and you should stop being that way. Mine goes like this. I am Corey, Lord of the encouragement. So first, I am. I, I think that is me. I try to be an optimist and an encourager. I try to be a Barnabas from the New Testament, not to bring everybody down all the time. That's my goal. I want to be an encourager, a positive person. So I am Corey, Lord of the encouragement, bringer of life. And here's the fun one. Fear me, for I am not wrong. (laughs) 
That's how I live my life, isn't it? I just, and my phone knows it. My phone knows, my device knows, Apple knows that I always think I'm right. Now, as I get older, I try to get more humble. There's some humility where I recognize I know very little. Uh, I know I'm an expert on some things, but in, in the wide variety of experiences and knowledge, I don't know enough to have that attitude. And to, uh, actually, when I, while I'm recording this, I am 33. By the time you all listen to it, I'll be 34. Maybe that's the year. Maybe I'll, I'll turn the calendar here in a few days and finally have the wisdom to, and the humility to recognize I don't know everything. But that is funny. Fear me, for I am not wrong. That is definitely how I live. All right, here we go to some serious stuff. We've had a discussion certainly in conservative media, but also more importantly in the church world about the balance between responding to COVID-19 as a health crisis and managing the response from a financial crisis. And there's been it's, it's a good, healthy thing to have. This is a healthy discussion because there's ethics involved here that we need to speak into and get straight. This is the stuff that my show is made of. I love talking about ethics and morality. What's the right thing to do? It's, it really is the driving force of my personality type. What's the right thing? Do the right thing. Even if it makes you miserable, do the right thing. That's how I live. Or at least I try to. And so you have some extremes here. I have seen, uh, it's a small group, but I have seen some folks that seem kind of flippant. Like, we, we got to get going. We got to get the economy moving. Let's just go back to this thing. And you tr- try to warn them, well, if you do that too quickly, you saw what happened in Italy, young people go out and they may get the disease and it may not affect them as badly sometimes, but they take it to older people. Well, older people are going to have to quarantine themselves then. If, if, if we can't shut down the entire economy because the old people... This is in a small group, but that group needs to be a zero number. Right? We, from the Christian perspective, even older people are made in the image of God, and we love them. Okay, we we don't we don't want to put have an undue risk on our our older citizens or our immunocompromised folks. So that's not that's on one extreme that I've seen. There has been another extreme, a very immature way to talk about this, way, a very immature way to think. I've heard folks, mostly on the secular left, say things like, well, whatever it takes to save one life, whatever the financial and economic cost to save one life, we should do it. All right, so that's, again, immature. It is also unethical and immoral. An economy is people. You need to hear me say that. An economy is humans. An economy is people getting up and going to work and making purchases and transactions and people getting income for those purchases and transactions and that labor. An economy is not just financial. Humans need money. Humans need financial interactions. An economy is not just finances and a health system is humans. Both are humans. Both are made up of people. And so it is, of course, absurd morally to say, if it costs the economy anything, if it saves one person in the health system, we should do it. Well, if you do that, people will just die in the financial system. There will be consequences. To job loss. There's, there's financial ruin. There's destitution. There's poverty. There's 
consequences on both sides, and you have to bring those into balance. And so I want to place a, a clip for you because I feel like people on my, quote, side, I don't, I'm, I'm kind of homeless in the political world, but it seems like folks on the right, because I'm certainly an ideological conservative, are being accused of saying, uh, you got to get the economy going and you're being heartless. So I want to play for you Andrew Cuomo, a Democratic governor of New York, and he is the governor whose state has been most affected by this. New York has been the most affected. Mostly it's New York City. And I want you to hear him talk about the same topic. This is Governor Andrew Cuomo. What we did was we closed everything down. Uh, That was our public health strategy. Just close everything. All businesses, all workers, young people, old people, short people, tall people, every school, close everything. If you rethought that or had time to analyze that public health strategy, I don't know that you would say quarantine everyone. Now, you say that right now, and there's a certain group of people on the secular left who just jump down your throat. Cuomo says there that we made the decision to shut everything down. Looking back on it, maybe it would have been a different call. Now, looking around the world, other governments did make a different call. The Netherlands made a different call. Sweden made a different call. And they're having health outcomes that aren't appreciably different than ours, I think some people over-argue and say, man, the Netherlands and, and, and Sweden and some of those countries, they did it differently. They were not so draconian, and they got away with, they, they seem to be doing okay. Well, they're having their issues too. But you can hear even Andrew Cuomo there say, maybe shutting down the entire country, maybe that wasn't the right call. I don't even know that that was the best public health policy. See, that's what he just said. Maybe there was a different call, and you're not totally immoral for saying that keeping the economy as part of the equation doesn't make you a monster. There's a little bit more, a little bit later from that press conference from Andrew Cuomo, about that direct question, well, what about getting the economy back going? How do you modify the public health strategy to make it smarter from a public health point of view, but also starts to get you back to work? Younger people can go back to work. People who have resolved can go back to work. People who, uh, once we get this antibody test, uh, show that they had the virus and they resolved can go back to work. Uh, That's how I think you do it. It's not we're going to either do public health or we're going to do economic development restarting. We have to do both. That's not a point that some heartless conservative is making. That's the Democratic governor of New York giving us all permission to have the ethical question of balancing these two things. And we've got to do that, guys. The past is the past, right? So let's just hope we never live through this again and we never have to think about it. But let's say, before I, what I got, I got 50 more years on this earth. Let's say 50 more years go by and one of these things pops up again. Well, one of the discussions we should have is, hey, guys, you remember back in 2020 when we caused at least a recession, it was what very well might be technically a depression. When we caused that, let me press pause, definitions on that. Recession is, in the textbooks, two quarters in a row of economic retraction. Depression, if I remember correctly from an economics course, is when you have four consecutive quarters 
of economic retraction. We're going to have a recession, period, bottom line. The question now, is it going to be technically a depression? So then back to my point. If this ever happens again, we should probably ask the question, was that the right call? Because it, d- it does cause other destruction that hurts people. And if the point of public policy is to do things that help people, then we got to keep those things in balance. And you should not, if you're someone like me who said that and had someone say back to you, you're heartless. Well, play them Andrew Cuomo. Even Cuomo agrees that we're allowed. We're allowed to consider those two things. And the ethical conundrum is trying to find the right balance between the two. When, by, and the two, I mean the human cost in this, the, the, the health issue versus the financial and economic health issue. All right, when we come back, I think only one more COVID-19 thought, and then I have a lot of other stuff. I don't want to distract you from it. It is important. We have some other things we can think about, and we'll do that when you come back for the rest of the Corey Act Show. Welcome back to the Corey Truax Show. If you would be so kind, if you are on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram, find me. And just like the show on Facebook, or you can follow on Twitter, you can follow on Instagram, you can befriend on Facebook. That's one of the things you could do, and I would be grateful if you would do so. My other COVID-19 thought for the week is the way in which people have reacted to it. How do I say this and not sound like a jerk? I should probably plan my show better and stop just turning the microphone on and start talking. It has exposed, the reaction to some of this has exposed that our school system, our education system, has not been stellar the last bunch of years. That's how I'll say it. Because it does seem as if folks have a big problem, of a vast plurality of Americans have a problem putting numbers in context, putting statistics in context. You may not remember for third or fourth grade, maybe you do because you're a smart person, but when you're looking at percentages, it really does matter if you've filled up your numerator and your denominator with accurate information. You can get a percentage, but if you got the wrong numerator or denominator, then it doesn't matter what your percentage is. And so, for example, you start to get death rates out of certain parts of the world getting reported of who has COVID-19, but it's really clear that we don't even have all the data yet. We don't have all the numbers, so don't freak out yet. We don't have enough information. Or uh, the way in which I saw some people freaking out because the confirmed cases of COVID-19 has skyrocketed the United States. We're now number one in the world, but like two, I guess two points on that to give you some the context people are missing. Well, guys, we're the... Th- third or fourth, I can't remember, third or fourth most populous country in the world. I know it's China, India. They're, they are one, two, and I can't remember which one is one and which one is two. But I, I think we're third. And if not, we're fourth. So it would follow that, yeah, of course, we're, we're going to have a, a, a big chunk, if not the most. And then further, we, we're, we have the most confirmed cases. So that's assumes, that assumes China's telling the truth, and it assumes that India has all the testing that we do, and they don't. We, we have that perfect storm of being wealthy enough to have a bunch of tests, and that we have the third or fourth most people in the world. So, of course, just in context, of course, we would be n- most affected by an international pandemic. But even the confirmed cases thing, 
Well, of course the confirmed cases are spiking because we didn't have testing. And now we have testing, and so now we're getting confirmation of what we already knew was true. But, and so it's all happening at one time, so the number goes up quickly and it terrifies everybody. And so my point here being, we're starting to learn more, but one of the things that would probably behoove, it would behoove all of us and not us, because you know my listenership, I do think you guys are particularly informed and smart, but we've got to be people in our, in our online presence, because right now we're not really talking to many people, are we? But in our online presence, when we're talking to our families, when we're on the phone, we're FaceTiming, we're doing the social media stuff, voices of rationality, we, we, part of the rationality is being cautious. We are concerned and we want to be careful. But part of the rationality is helping people understand there's, there's enough information to say be concerned, but we're waiting on so much information and I think I said this on the last show, it's we are a, a people who've been spoiled by immediate information. And we we don't we don't know how to process this world where there's 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 a little bit of guesswork happening. We just don't have enough information uh, to, to to make predictive models. And we so that's why we're using a lot of different models and we just gotta help people. We gotta help people calm down when they hear terrifying news. You know, the, the news out of Italy is is scary because I think I think it's accurate to say that it's a death rate of almost 10%, but they are the outlier. And there's got to be reasons for that. So then we got to be able to be the people to explain it. So that, well, their healthcare system's not great. And they're, it's def- we're, we're definitely going to have a better system in the United States. South Korea has a better has a better system. And the countries aren't quite as old. Italy is disproportionately an older country. Like w- w- Helping people put information in context is part of what we should be doing uh, as folks who know what's going on and are paying attention. And so let me encourage you in that. Um, it, this this whole thing has exposed that we, we've not done well in educating people, particularly on math and statistics and how to interpret information, but we can help. We can be people who help others calm down a little. All right. Uh, let's move on. Here's, I guess this is related. This will be a good bridge between the rest of what I want to do on the show. I got sent... A story. This is from Rachel. In the New York Times last week, the original headline, they changed the headline, and I appreciate that, but the original headline said that evangelicals paved the road to coronavirus. And I, I will admit, I saw the headline and went, wait, what I do? I didn't pave the road to coronavirus. And then they changed the headline to the religious rights hostility to science is crippling our coronavirus response. I don't want to read to you a ton of this, but I do want to read to you some of it. And then I have one overarching point because this goes to, so Rachel sent me something and I got another message from another person. Uh, I'll tell you about that in a minute. All right, here we go. So the heart of this was, uh, here we go, this de- this is from the New York Times. This, this denial of science and critical thinking among religious conservatives, well, that's mean. Denial of science and lack of critical thinking, I, I would not put us in that category, but okay. She says the denial of science and lack of critical thinking among religious conservatives now haunts the American response to the coronavirus. On March 15th, Guillermo Maldano, who calls himself an apostle, and who hosted 
President Trump earlier this year at a campaign event urged his congregants to show up for worship services, saying, do you believe God would bring his people to his house to be contagious with the virus? Of course not. Well, of course. I mean, this is now out of the article. That Guillermo guy is a moron. Yeah, you shouldn't have said that. That's very stupid. Uh, Rodney Howard Brown of the River Church in Tampa Bay said people who are concerned about the disease are pansies. And the only, uh, the only way he would shutter his doors is if the rapture took place. <sighs> oh, boy. And then uh, last week I talked about the church in Louisiana, and they covered that. So basically their argument is this. The, there's evangelicals who... Actually, there was one thing they said at the beginning that I thought was actually quite good. Here we go. Uh, the, the first sentence is, Donald Trump rose to power with the determined assistance of a movement that denies science, bashes governments, and prioritizes loyalty over professional experience, or professional expertise. So they're linking this part of evangelicalism that was the thing that put Donald Trump over the ma- put him over the, the top to become president, uh, that they deny science. So first of all, I don't think that's true. Um, there is a subset, and it, it, I'm, I'm just going to say it, for those of you who listen to me and you're from this tradition, I'm not all that sorry. There's a subset that usually comes out of charismatic backgrounds, Pentecostal Church of God backgrounds, that are not friendly to what we understand about a lot of the sciences. All right? I'm just going to say it that way and I'm going to move on. But that's a small subset. You're not get, getting that from most of evangelicalism. So it says that there's this group that denies science and then second, bashes government. Well, that's most of America, by the way. We, Depending on who's in power. I mean, when, like, well, that's, what's the left doing now? They bash the government because they don't like Donald Trump. I'm consistent that I bash government all the time because it's inefficient and doesn't do a great job at, at what it's supposed to. And then here's the one that actually matters. This movement denies science, bashes government, and prioritizes loyalty over professional expertise. That's the one that's the problem. The thing that happened in evangelicalism is Trump proved loyal. He's not an, he's not an expert, really doesn't know what he's doing, not one of, not one of the group, um, and is a terrible human being. But he's loyal. He's loyal to the group, and so they, they support him without question, because he's been loyal to them, they're loyal back, and that's not a good place for evangelicalism to be. So then the argument is, because Trump's involved with these evangelicals and they're anti-science, that the response has been bad. It, there's not a connection there. By the way, the response, I, I'm sure we could have done better, but guys, I don't know how yet. Maybe one of you can inform me how we should have responded in a different way, and Trump administration screwed it all up. I'm sure the Trump administration did some bad stuff and some governors did some bad stuff, but guys, this is not one you can prepare for. There's not pandemic practice. People are making decisions on the fly, and I've got a lot of patience and sympathy for those making decisions in this environment where we don't really know much of anything and we, we don't have any historic precedent to use to make decisions. And so the, the I got this message from, from Rachel that, that sends me this story, to which I just respond, hey, it wasn't our fault. Now, those pastors that said all that stuff, all that is ridiculous and terrible and dumb, and it comes from a very specific theological system that is damaging to people, that is hurtful to people. And I'll call that out. That's, it's, it is a terrible, terrible thing. I mean, we should probably talk about this one day. But 
Oh, okay. I'm going to pull opening the can of worms. Can you just imagine the sound of an opening can? It is this group that you know, he says, you're a bunch of pansies if you're scared of this. The only way I'll shutter my doors is when the rapture is taking place. You know, that even that idea of rapture, it's a very young idea in the Christian world. I, I'll blow some of your minds. I, I don't think that's a thing that's going to happen in the way that you see it from Tim LaHaye. I believe the Lord's coming again to set up his kingdom, but this idea of the church being raptured away for a time, it's, it's a pretty new idea in Christianity, and I don't think a true one. In the things that comes out of comes out of that, there's consequences to how people live. I, one of the, my one of my themes is orthodoxy. What you believe affects your orthopraxy, how you live, and so the, it leads to dumb things like this that some churches did. But that doesn't affect the entire response to to COVID nineteen. And then so that leads into the other the other message I got recently on. Christian Worldview with Tony and Hannah on W on his radio talk, 91.9. I was filling in, and I said, apparently, I, I, I sort of remember saying this. I said on that show, the, the culture war ended a long time ago, and we lost. And so I got a message from somebody saying, what do you mean? Like, well, to expound on that. You just said it and moved on. It's one of my favorite points to talk about. Like, we... Christianity, a certain sector of it, decided to start a culture war, and or at least participate in a culture war, um, because they wanted it's very it was very important for them for their earthly country to, to they needed to be able to feel patriotism and Christianity at the same time. Like they they want to love America as much as they love Jesus, and so they needed America to be a certain way, and they they they, they participated in a culture war. And they lost. We we got routed. The culture war is over. Traditional Christian ethics and morals lost. The majority of the country does not hold to a biblical worldview or, or biblical morality. Secularism won. And it's actually one of the things I'm trying to get the secularists to understand. You guys won. It's now your responsibility. You're, you are the ruling philosophy of the day, and you're not doing a very good job. This is what this New York Times article gets on my nerves. Guys, you won. This is uh, the way I like to say it. You're very sore winners. The secular left are very sore winners. I, I specifically think LGBTQ folks, very sore winners. You won. We lost. Everything you wanted, you got. And now you're coming after us trying to shut down our businesses when we don't do exactly what you want, trying to affect our churches in ways that will shut our doors. Like, you won! Accept it! Accept your total victory and leave us be, please! Like that, there's a thing the secular world does. This New York Times article is a great example. You guys won, and you won't accept it. So you just keep coming after us harder and harder. Can we have some mercy from you guys? Like, you won! Move on. So that's what I meant. I can't remember who sent me that message. I believe that was on Facebook too. What do you mean that there was a culture war and we lost? Look around. Of course we lost. And then what I would love for the secular world to realize is they did win. You can stop feeling so threatened by us. Like we're just trying to live our lives out here. Whew. Okay, 
uh, that is a good transition into this. Robert Jeffress is a problem. He is a Trump worshiper. He, I, I don't mind saying this. I'd say it to Robert Jeffress' face. He loves Donald Trump more than he loves Jesus. Bottom line, period, truth. Robert Jeffress is an American somewhere way down the line. He thinks about being a Christian, and he uh, has found a way to monetize it. This is a big problem I have with Jeffress. Part of it is I'm basically positive. I don't know how much of all the stuff he believes. I know that he makes a good living off of it, and he's found a way to monetize his Trump support and his America love. And so as long as he can monetize it, I think he'll be this, he'll keep acting this way. Now, he was on Eric Metaxas' show, Eric Metaxas is also a big Trump thumper. He doesn't thump a Bible. That's what we used to call us. We're Bible thumpers. Um, Jeffress and Metaxas are Trump thumpers. And they got into a discussion about the person that I consider to be modern Christianity's Yoda, Tim Keller, previous pastor of Redeemer Presbyterian Church in New York City. I have learned so much from Tim Keller, one of the most important influences in my life. I highly encourage consuming whatever sermons, books you can from him. Prodigal God is incredible. The reason for God is uh, so good. But uh, Let me play for you something from Robert Jeffress on Eric Metaxas' show as they were talking about Tim Keller, and I want to respond to it. Um, I was sorry to read that my friend Tim Keller uh, talked about uh, how Christians shouldn't get you know, in bed with any political party as though the two political parties were equal. I think maybe 40 or 50 years ago, you could make that case. I want to stop there really quickly on Metaxas because this is a point I've heard here recently that I'm starting to get on my nerves a little bit, but let me, I should say this. There are people that I love deeply, I have a lot of respect for, they're smart, that are going to disagree with what I'm about to say. And I get that, and I could be wrong. I am getting a little frustrated with otherwise really smart, evangelical, Jesus-following people just giving themselves over to this idea of there's Republicans and there's Democrats. Republicans aren't great, but Democrats are the devil. They're demonic, evil people, and we'll do whatever we have to. We, whatever we have to, because the Republicans are the bulwark against the demons. And I, I counsel against that. And there's, I counsel against living this life like you only had the two options, and you've got to support the lesser of the two evils. I'm going to leave it there. There is another option. It might be a long way around politically to get any kind of real progress, but we don't have to live in that world. You don't have to. And I would love to free more people from this thinking that the Democrats are demons, and if we got to do whatever we have to to defeat the Democratic demons. But it has become so dramatically uh, different for me. But I know that many, many pastors, more than not, very much shy away from the kind of engagement that, that you don't? Well, I think what they have done is they have cloaked their cowardice in theology. They have found a theology that will excuse their unwillingness to take a stand. Uh, they don't want to take unpopular stands in their church. They can't stand any kind of criticism. They are wimpy Christians. And I think it's increasingly hard to be a wimpy Christian in this culture. There's no mushy middle. You're either on the side of righteousness or unrighteousness. And which, the problem you've got there is guys like Tim Keller, who I think he just called wimpy. That's how I read that. That's how I heard it. You you get a question about Tim Keller. You say, well, they, they're, they're cloaking their positions in theology. No, it's that we just actually care about the theology. 
that we know our enemy is not of this world. We know that it's our enemy is the principalities, the powers of the air. That we're fighting something eternal, and you're trying to elect a politician. And so you, you got this, this willingness to criticize and condemn a biblically faithful man because he's, the stands he takes are theological and not political. And we got to come out of that world where we think taking political stands is the way in which we're bold and we're faithful. The way we're faithful is we proclaim what the Word of God says without apology, and when it has political ramifications, we stand by that, but we don't go to fight the political battles and on the way do some Christian thinking and some biblical thinking. We're fighting spiritual, eternal battles, and then that will have some secondary effects on those things that we do politically. When we come back, I want to share with you a very important clip from a recent Matt Chandler sermon. It's just brilliant. We'll do that when you return for the rest of the Corey Truax Show. Welcome back to the Corey Truax Show. Glad to have you with us. What I am going to do here next is play for you a clip from a recent Matt Chandler sermon. He is my favorite Christian communicator who is not part of Beachwood Church. Like it's a uh, he, he's great. You should consume a lot of Matt Chandler sermons. I, I said here recently on our live stream at Beachwood, one of the things I think uh, a hidden blessing of this COVID-19 thing is Christians are realizing that in the mix of all the media they consume, they can actually consume some Christian media. It doesn't have to be constant Netflix binging. It doesn't always have to be watching that Tiger King show. You can actually just watch some sermons. You can do that. I mean, in the last hundred years, the people that we have... R.C. Sproul and John MacArthur and I'm, I'm, John Piper's okay. David Platt and Matt Chandler. Like, you can actually do that. Take 35, 40 minutes and watch or listen to a sermon instead of watching something on Netflix. What a, what an idea. And Christians are coming around to that. So, Matt Chandler, maybe he, he communicates to the, the deepest parts of me in a way that it just doesn't resonate with everyone else, but... I don't know that that's true, and this point he's about to make is, I think, the one that I want to make the most over the next 40 years of my influence, the next 50 years of the influence I have, even if that influence is only over my own nephews and family and a small group, one of my big themes has been the, the theme of Ecclesiastes. This world promises you a lot. It promises you a lot of satisfaction. And you'll get some of it. This world will tell you if you get this much money, this job, this title, this person's respect, this relationship, this marriage, this house, this kind of car, this achievement, this experience, this vacation, if you just get it, you'll be happy. And the thing the world does is it's true. You'll get that thing. And you will be happy. For a minute. And then it'll stop. You'll need something different. And all of that in Ecclesiastes says all those things that I got, they were they were uh, vanity under the sun, under the sun, under the sun. And it's supposed to point you to above the sun. Oh, so I can actually find meaningful, lasting satisfaction if I just look above the sun for it, something eternal. And Chandler hits on this, Matt Chandler hits on this from time to time, and he did it in a, a fresh way here recently. I want to play 
for you a sermon that actually wasn't about Ecclesiastes, but he makes a lot of that point about us as people and the things that we chase that we think will make us happy and how they fail to do so. This is Pastor Matt Chandler from the Village Church in Dallas, Texas. To become a slave to incessant activity rather than just resting in the delight of God. What would it look like to finally just melt into the fact that he knows you're jacked up and he loves you? And he's going to move you along. You don't fight sin the way we like to fight it. You fight sin with affection. Right? When I can cultivate by the grace of God and the word of God and, and seek and grab and hold of the Lord a love for Jesus, then when this paltry temptation rolls up, uh, that I can go, really? That instead of this? What a good reminder. I think we, in our resisting of temptation, we white-knuckle it. We just grab on for dear life and say, I don't want to do that. I don't want to think that. I don't want to go there. I don't want to have, I don't want to be a part of that sin, that temptation. That's not what God's called us to. He's called us to something better. He's called us to such an, an affection and an, an enjoyment, a happiness, a fulfillment in him that we look at the joy of the temptation and go, nah, I don't want to trade this awesome joy I've got. You know, we, we talk about this in the in the addiction world often. It, it, it can never be getting over an addiction just wanting to take away the, the substance or whatever it is someone's addicted to. It has to be replaced. You got to replace that feeling. You got to get to the heart of it. It can't just be the absence of a thing. You have to replace the thing. And so whatever that sin, whatever we're chasing after, it can't just be guilt and wanting to be away from it that is the solution. The solution is having a better, higher affection for the things of God. Please, Satan. And I know we don't believe in Satan. We're Westerners. There's no sin anymore. We just need some therapy. Nobody needs to tell, nobody gets to tell us what to do until it burns down in our 40s and we'll get a counselor. Am I too much? Because I've got more. I'm, I'm in third gear. I'm not even there yet. <laughs> I love this guy. You know, he's not wrong. Uh, I'm not anti-therapy. I think it's good. God was good to give us mental health professionals and talk therapy. It's it's a good thing. It's something you take part in. There's no. Sh he's not shaming that. He's just saying that the natural, modern, Western American Christian life, he, he had 40 there for a reason. Because you got a bunch of folks in their 20s and 30s who chase after a certain income job, uh, a title, um, reputation, spouse, kids, whatever. And maybe it's around 40 for a lot of people that you start to kind of nail it. And you, you really, you get a lot of that stuff you wanted and you realize, oh, it didn't actually make me happy. And then all of that has to get stripped down. And, and instead of sometimes going to a spiritual place to affect it, those who are outside the Christian world, they end up in therapy to deal with that deep disappointment. Now, now what happens though, is if by the grace of God, you can say, you know what's wrong with me? It's not that my dad didn't hug me enough, and it's not that, that I have rebelled against a creator God. It's not this thing that happened to me back in life. It's not this, it's not that. I am a sinner, and that language has been taken from us. It, like, it's like the one thing you can't discuss, but can I tell you what's wrong in your life? Sin. It might be nuanced a thousand different ways, but it's sin. It's rebellion against God, and the story, the greater story is Jesus going, hey, get in here come into life. And what you and I do is go, yeah, yeah, no, no, that can't be it. But man, this promotion, no, no, that can't be it. But this affair, no, 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 that can't be it. But more money, no, no, that can't be it. But this. It's a great point. 
here we are. He, he actually used those illustrations. He said, what about this promotion? He said, affair, maybe this other relationship. It's this amount of money. And here's Jesus beckoning you and saying, hey, man, it's not going to be the money. It's not going to be the relationship. M- Madam, it's, it's not going to be the reputation. It's not going to be winning that approval of this other person that you think if you, get, if you just get their approval. And here's Jesus beckoning, saying, no, I've got something better. And you chasing after those things and not me, that winning your affection, that is actually the, the sin problem you have that's effectuating that, and it's only wrecking you. It's only hurting you. And no matter how many times it betrays us, no matter how many times it, it, it brings about shame and guilt and remorse. Anyone else feeling that one? That you keep making the same mistake, not just twice, but over and over and over because you think this, this thing is going to satisfy you, but it just doesn't. It, it's a destructive habit that we all, that we all have. It's a convicting word here for us all to consider those things that we're trying to use to fill us up and they just continue to leave us empty. We just keep running to a God. We are really dumb creatures. It's why the, the shepherd imagery is so powerful in the Bible. Because sheep are ignorant. They literally won't move 20 feet to eat green grass. They'll just die there on it. That's you and me. <laughs> and he's right. This is one of the reasons we get, we get a good shepherd in Psalm 23. Because we will stay in the places where there's nothing to feed us, nothing to sustain us, as the world betrays us, and we have to be shown, and here's the shepherd leading us to himself to, to find actual fulfillment. So Chandler leads up here with all the big problems. Here's the problems we have. The core of them is sin. What is the actual solution? He goes back to the passage he was preaching. The passage say, But God, being rich in mercy with the great love with which he loved us, comma, even when we were dead in our trespasses and sins, made us alive. Look at me. This is the only story there is. There is no story of self-actualization. Do you hear me? Because I just punched our day in the face. Yes, he did. He did. That is what we're all made of, right? Uh, This is the... The philosophy of the age is self-actualization, where the actual Christian realization that we need to have spoken to us is the only real fulfillment you're going to have is not in yourself. It is fulfilling the purpose God has for you, and that's going to end up affecting well all the people around you. It's going to be good for you, but it's not about you. Life's not about us. It is about fulfilling the purpose God has given to us. Well, look at that. I did what I wanted. I saved us some time here at the end for listener feedback, and that's what we're going to do to finish the show. Uh, So, here we go. First, several, several of you, this got on my nerves a little bit, sent me messages or links. Hey, have you seen this Tiger King show on Netflix? (sighs) All right. Tiger King show is the biggest thing in the world right now. Everyone's watching it on Netflix. If you haven't, I'm surprised. I also haven't, but I haven't watched it because I'm bitter, I listened to a podcast about the same person two years ago, I think, called Joe Exotic, and now everyone else is on it. And so I think I feel like how hipsters in Brooklyn felt 
when they found out that people in like Nebraska were eat, eating avocado toast. So it was, hey, that's our cool thing. You can't take our cool thing. And uh, so to those that asked, I haven't seen it. I'm probably going to watch it eventually, but I'm bitter about it right now because it feels like I knew a cool thing and now everyone is pretending that they're the first ones to know it when I knew it like a long time ago. All right, that's one. Two, I got a question from, is that Matthew? Matthew asks, would you have voted for the stimulus bill? No, I would not have as uh, Thomas Massey voted against it. I would not have voted it, voted for it. Um, Pelosi really came in. She she really deserves a lot of criticism. What she did there was wrong, morally wrong, morally egregious, and uh, made that bill much more than it should have been. Um, okay, well, last one. I, I wanted to play this for you because I told you guys I had been really big on this IFB Preacher Clips Twitter page, and one of you sent me this clip. I didn't miss it. I just I didn't want to cover it because it's so egregious. But um, here is a horrible person named Tony Hudson who preaches in independent fundamental Baptist churches, and I want to critique one of his sermons because one of you, I can't fig- see who sent this to me. Uh, one of you sent it. So here you go. Here's Tony Hudson. President. I mean, I, I'm, I'm against Muslims. Somebody say amen. I'm against a bunch of rug riding. Amen. Somebody help me. Camel jockey, uh, genie in a bottle, rag-headed, cold Muslims. I, 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 am I in America or I'm a, What I meant to say was I'm against Islam. Now, I didn't say I hated them. Don't go online and, and quote me. Don't put on your Facebook I said that because I didn't say I hated them. I said I'm against the ideology of Islam. No, you said you were against Muslims. That is racist garbage and this man will stand before the God of the universe to be judged for what he just did from a pulpit. And by the way, you can't have it both ways. This, this political correctness has ruined our nation. Amen. I thought we hung one Hussein, and now we voted another in. Now, y'all don't have to like this. You can lump this. I'm against Russia, too, and North Korea, and Iran, and Iraq, and every other enemy of Israel. Yeah, you got your dispensationalisms all messing up your foreign policy as well. But hey, man, do you have a text? Are you preaching from a Bible? Or did you get up to do talk radio from the pulpit? I'll, hey, I'll bless them that bless thee. I'll curse them that curse thee. I'm going to bless Israel. Amen. Amen right there, Brother Tony. Hey, I'm talking about I'm against Russia and North Korea and China and China and Iraq and Afghanistan and Islam. I don't know. I just thought I'd say a few things. I'll identify my position and Russia. This has nothing to do with any biblical text at all. And this is a big problem with this section of that group. Men get up and think we give any care about their opinion. You're supposed to be preaching the word. Get to a text, sir. Amen. I'm also frustrated with how much this particular guy needs affirmation from a congregation. He needs them to yell back at him. Hey, man, why don't you just say stuff that's true? And then leave uh, leave the response up to the Holy Spirit. I've trusted Russia, and I still don't trust Russia. They've always been our enemies, and Red China's communist China, and always be communist China. Head man, right there. Y'all ain't sounding right. This is this some? Are y'all Americans? I thought I I'm in Tennessee, or am I? Where am I? Help me! I'm talking stuff y'all supposed to be liking real good right here. How about you just preach the scriptures and the Bible instead? 
This is the kind of garbage I'm talking about. And it comes from both ends. You'll get this from the seeker-sensitive crowd. They're going to sound more intelligent than this person, but they are trying to come up with the stuff, whatever the content is, that tickles the ears and pleases people, but maybe the more enlightened and the more, uh, the, the more cultured crowd. And these guys go to more rural places and serve up this red meat uh, to, to get a reaction from them. And he, he's very bothered, if I continue with this clip, he's bothered that the people aren't amening and, and yelling back at him. How about we just finish with this word today? The job of the pastor, the minister, the preacher, is to study the scriptures and then explain the scriptures. If you are in one of those settings where sermons are a lot like this, where it's the ruminations and partly the bigoted, I mean the bigoted backward garbage that came out of that guy, but it's not the scripture being preached, I will say this, you need to get out of that church. And I never say that. I am for sticking with your church. You've got a problem. Uh, I, I even write into the show about those. I'd love to hear about them because I, I would try to convince just about anybody to stay with their church as long as they are inside the faith doctrinally. Stick with it. Work it out. Make it work. The Lord has bound us to local bodies of believers. The Christian life is meant to be lived with God as our Father, but as Spurgeon said, the church almost as our mother. We have this doctrine of adoption that we are adopted as the sons and daughters of God, but we weren't adopted as only children. We got adopted and have brothers and sisters. We're all in the family together. But if this is what's coming out of your pulpits, we got a giant problem. You need to get out of there for this reason. It's it's primarily because it's not Scripture. It's just someone's opinion. And so... I found out that was also a Matthew, but a different Matthew who sent that one over, and uh, thanks for sending it over so we could play it and uh, and properly criticize it for its content. If you would be so kind, share the show on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. If you're listening to the podcast, rate and review the podcast. It helps other people find the show. We'll be back with another new edition of the Corey Truax Show next week. Stay safe out there, everybody. Until next time, peace and love.